The battle belongs to the Lord. That's even the title of the message. So let's get started. Verse 7 of Revelation 20 is where we pick it up this morning. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'd help us, if it's your will, that we get through this whole passage this morning. If not, that's okay too. But we lift up this time in your word. We ask you to just anoint the teaching of your word with your Holy Spirit. We ask you to speak to our hearts and minds today. Continue to train us, equip us, and prepare us to be your end times army. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when the thousand years have expired, we saw last week how at the second coming of Christ, we return with him, 12 thrones for the 12 apostles to judge the people of Israel that remain alive on the earth. Then we will be sitting on thrones with Christ, judging the Gentile nations. And then we go into the thousand year reign of Christ on the earth, the millennium, and Satan is bound and thrown into the bottomless pit. So we're moving on here to when the thousand years have expired. And it probably, you know, we will be immortal. And so it's going to be an interesting scenario because you have mortals still alive that will remain on the earth, the sheep that Christ allows to enter the millennial kingdom. They will be reproducing, bringing forth more, more offspring, repopulating, replenishing the earth. And yet we will be here ruling and reigning with Christ as mortal beings. And so we have one group of people operating within the realm of time, as you and I are now, and time sure flies, doesn't it? Can you believe it's already 2022? And so, but during the millennium, you and I will be here as immortal beings, and so time will have no relevance for us, and yet we will be ruling over a group of mortals on this planet who are still living in that space-time continuum. Very interesting. So the thousand years have expired, the length of Christ's reign over this present world, a rejuvenated world, the scriptures indicate. Too bad the people who are fighting hardest to rejuvenate it probably won't be here. Your uh, animal rights groups, your PETA groups, your uh, environmentalist groups, your uh, climate change people, because interestingly enough, most of those people who claim to be so concerned about all of these things reject Christ. They reject the Creator, the one who made it all. They want it all to be fixed, but they don't want to acknowledge the one who made it. So they will not be here to enjoy when Christ actually does rejuvenate this world. I'm not judging them. God knows their hearts, but the indicators are, Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them. There are a lot of fruits out there, though, so who knows? Of course, by their, it doesn't say by their fruitcakes, it says by their fruits. So. All right, I wanted to look for a moment. Isaiah 65, 18 is a description of the millennium. Be glad and rejoice forever in what I create, for behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people as a joy. That's certainly not in the case right now. The whole world hates Israel. They hate the Jewish portion of Jerusalem anyway. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her. No more suicide bombers, no more terrorist attacks, nor the voice of crying. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days. 
nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. And so, yeah, we see that a lot in this world we live in now. God says we have 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. And not everybody makes it that far. We have a lot of people, especially now in this modern world with increasing numbers of heart attacks and cancer and so forth, not everyone is fulfilling his or her God-ordained number of days. But nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days, for the child shall die 100 years old. Sounds much like the way things were prior to Noah's flood, a much extended lifespan for people living on the earth during the millennium. The sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. In other words, if you're not really in your heart of hearts acknowledging God, loving God, following God, you might be here on the planet, but you will not be happy. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. And that's very common throughout the world as we see one people group coming in and displacing another. The Assyrians came in and displaced the Israelis in northern Israel. The Babylonians came and did the same thing in southern Israel way back in biblical times. And we see this happening all over the world. We were talking, a friend of mine, is, his daughter is married to a young man from Kyrgyzstan, which was part of the former Soviet Union. And they have the, the native population of Kyrgyzstan is uh, Asian extraction. But then they have a whole other population of Russian people who were placed there by uh, the Soviet Union because that's their methodology for taking over countries. They did the same thing in the Ukraine. They moved a bunch of people from Russia to Ukraine, then moved a bunch of people from Ukraine to Russia. They forced the Ukrainian people to start speaking Russian, which is slightly different from Ukrainian. And that's been practiced down through the centuries all over the world as one country seeks to take over another. They change the ethnicity and the language. Hmm. Does that sound familiar? Could that be happening in America today? I think it is. But anyway, they shall build houses and inhabit them. Plant vineyards they shall not build and another inhabit. In other words, nobody's going to come and take your house when Jesus is on the throne. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain nor bring forth children for trouble. For they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are still speaking, I will hear, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together, not on one another, <laughs> but together. You got to know the world's changed when you got a, a, a wolf lying down with a lamb, right? The lion shall eat straw like the ox. There's a novel idea. Formerly ca carnivorous animals are now vegetarians. Again, like before the flood. And dust shall be the serpent's food, so he's still in the same boat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. So this is just one of many passages in the Old Testament telling us what it's going to be like here during the millennium. And as I've shared before, based upon we creationists, we young earthers, believe that man has been around approximately 6,000 years. And so now we've just entered, you know, within the last 20 years or so, the new millennium. And so a soon return of Christ, which I believe is very likely, and I know you guys do too. This millennium that we've just entered into could very well be the Sabbath rest for mankind, for all of creation, 
6,000 years of turmoil we've been in up to this point, and then this seventh millennium, which we're now into, again, we don't know how precise we are with our numbering, but we're right in the ballpark. After 6,000 years of suffering and struggling on this earth, the millennial kingdom of Christ would be that equivalent to that seventh day, the Sabbath day, the day of rest, and it'll be a thousand-year time of peace and prosperity on the earth. Now, Satan will be released when the thousand years is up. Uh-oh, Satan's going to get paroled. And we're not talking about Charlie Manson here. Satan's going to get paroled. And you know, it's crazy. Some people will say, oh, poor Judas. It wasn't his fault. He was set up, you know. And it'd be some people probably say the same thing about the devil. Some people actually feel sorry for him. Poor devil. He's been incarcerated for a thousand years. It's just not fair. And you know, uh, if it was up to the Democrats, he'd probably get out sooner. <laughs> well, look at all the criminals they're releasing all over the country. We may be laughing about it, but it's not funny. They're trying to do away with all incarceration. Some of these crazy people are saying we shouldn't even have prisons anymore. The guy that ran all over all of those people in Waukesha, Wisconsin, in the Christmas parade, had already tried to run over his girlfriend with the same vehicle. He'd been incarcerated in jail two or three times for various things, and they kept releasing him. Every day you read some story about somebody being released who's committed a crime, and what do they do? They go back out and commit another one. Isn't that interesting? Surprise, surprise. That's where we're at today. Again, I'm so thankful that I know Jesus. You know what? If you don't know Christ, you have every reason to be afraid. But with Jesus, you don't. He's our sword. He's our shield. And we're called to be his warriors. Okay, we saw in verses 1 through 3 how an angel, probably Michael, comes down out of heaven with the key to the abyss and a chain with which to bind Satan. He's then bound and cast into the abyss and imprisoned there for the entire reign of Christ upon the earth and then released for a short time. Verse 8, he'll be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. He goes out to deceive. He's been in jail for a millennium, a thousand years. Hasn't changed a bit. And yes, one of the, the goals, one of the purposes for jails, prisons, incarceration is to rehabilitate. But I hate to say it, the rehabilitation numbers are pretty low. And most people may not want to acknowledge this or admit this, but the number one reason for incarceration is to keep that person from doing the same thing again. And guess what? Even the devil can't be rehabilitated after a thousand years in jail. He goes out to deceive. Revelation 12:9. we saw a few weeks ago, the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. You know, and, we, and let's be honest, we go around asking ourselves, what is going on in this world? Why are people doing all these crazy things? We shouldn't even have to ask that question. Here it is. The devil who deceives the whole 
world. And if you don't have the Spirit of God living inside of you, if you've not been born again, if you've not acknowledged Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and invited him to take up residence in your heart and your mind, then you are a prime candidate for deception. He goes out to deceive the nations. And this is at the end of the millennium. So this tells us, and we know that because we've been told we're going to rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years, the earth will still be divided into nations, people, groups, etc. Luke 19, 17. Jesus promises the good servant, well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, the resources that God has given us in this life. And to be faithful in very small matters means that we are focused on eternity. We are making every effort to invest our time, energy, and money into things that have eternal value, meaning, and purpose. Because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. Wow, that sounds like a pretty big responsibility, doesn't it? But from God's viewpoint, it's a blessing, it's a reward, it's an honor for faithfulness here in this life that in the millennial kingdom of Christ, people will be given charge over cities and even up to nations. Somebody here today might be in charge of Albuquerque someday. You may say, no, thank you. <laughs> Santa Fe, Los Alamos, Española, Taos, Chama. And so this tells us why faithfulness in this life is so important. Because the responsibilities that we will have in the millennial kingdom could be quite significant. Another passage about the millennium, Zechariah 14, beginning in verse 12. This shall be the plague with which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. So this is, this is at the second coming. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall dissolve in their sockets, battle of Armageddon. Their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. It shall come to pass in that day that a great panic from the Lord will be among them. Everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor and raise his hand against his neighbor's hand. Judah will also fight at Jerusalem. And the wealth of the surrounding nations shall be gathered together, gold, silver, and apparel in great abundance. So also shall be the plague on the horse and mule, on the camel and the donkey, and on the, all the cattle that will be in those camps. So shall this plague be. Sounds very much like a nuclear confrontation. It could be man's nukes versus God's nukes. Guess which nukes are going to win? Because we know that the Antichrist will gather all the kings of the earth and their armies into the valley of Megiddo to fight against Christ at his second coming. So they will be probably armed with some pretty incredible weapons of mass destruction, those of man's creation, but they'll be no match for Christ. But it's going to be a very bloody, very horrible battle. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came up Jerusalem, this is the, again, the sheep, the goats are cast out, the sheep are allowed to enter in because they, they did not take the mark, they did not renounce Christ. It shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. So we'll still need rain during the millennium. There'll still be growing of crops and so forth. 
If the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And there's a very interesting perspective that I will touch on if we get that far today concerning you, you would ask yourself, we're in the millennium, Christ is on the throne, all the uh, wicked, unrighteous, non-believers have been removed from the earth, so why is there still the potential for this rebellion that people might not come up and obey the Lord and come for the Feast of Tabernacles and so forth? But we'll talk about that in a moment. So, he gathers the nation, Satan does, from the four corners of the earth. And so this rebellion against Jesus Christ and the saints, it'll be global. People from all over the world will follow Satan as he seeks to dethrone Christ and take over. And it mentions here Gog and Magog. Now in scripture, you probably know that these two are understood to be the ruler of Russia and the people of Russia, Gog and Magog. And the beginning of the tribulation, according to Ezekiel 38 and 39, there will be an invasion from the north of Israel with the Islamic groups also participating. But God will destroy their armies and deliver the Jews from this attack. Ezekiel 38 and 39, right at the beginning of the tribulation, which will probably then give way to this seven-year peace treaty with the Antichrist and so forth. But here, as Gog and Magog is mentioned, it could be symbolic for all those who come against God and his people. To gather them together for battle. What's his purpose in going out to deceive the nations and gathering them all together? To gather them to battle. Unbelievably, the moment he's released, Satan will once again attempt to overthrow the rule of God and Jesus Christ by deceiving massive numbers of fallen men to follow him into battle. Incredible. Whose number is as the sand of the sea. So this is not going to be any small uprising. Other words, there'll be a great number of people who turn on God. This after a thousand years of perfect peace, righteousness, health, and prosperity on the earth. Proving, folks. And I believe that's why God has this whole plan laid out, this whole scenario. This will prove, I believe, once and for all, that our circumstances don't dictate our heart attitude. People say, if I just had a better job, if I just had a better husband, better wife, better car, better this, better that, then I would be happy. No. The only way you'll ever be happy is to get right with God. To be filled with the joy of the Lord. So even in a perfect world, Adam and Eve lived in a perfect world. They chose to sin. Even in a perfect world, this millennial reign of Christ, the sinfulness of man is once again revealed. They went up on the breadth of the earth, or they marched out, on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So again, they're going to come from all over the globe, united under the banner of Satan, Lucifer, the enlightened one, you see. This rebellion proves that even a rule of perfect law, because the Bible tells us, we already saw this in Revelation chapter 19, that Christ is going to rule with a rod of iron. We all know one of the biggest problems in our world today is we've departed from guiding our, our societies, our nations, guiding them by the scriptures, by the word of God. When governments use 
biblical principles as their guidelines, that's how our nation was established. And things worked pretty good for a while. But when you depart from that, you have chaos. But under Christ, the whole world will be filled with the, the knowledge of the Lord, the Bible tells us. And God's law will be that which prevails. This rebellion proves that even a rule of perfect law cannot change the human heart. You know, it's, people have said you cannot legislate morality, and that's true to a certain degree. But for anyone who has respect for rules, for regulations, for law, for God, if you don't respect God, then you probably won't respect earthly authority either. But because we live in an imperfect world, we live in a fallen world, we are fallen individuals, even though at the end of the day it comes down to the human heart. Laws, rules, regulations, guidelines do hinder, restrain. When you ever, whenever you fall into lawlessness, you're in big trouble. And Jesus even said, because of the increase of lawlessness in the last days, the love of most would grow cold. So they marched out. They went up on the breadth of the earth. Romans 3.20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. But for by the law is the knowledge of sin. What Paul is saying is, the law is not going to save you because you can't keep it. By the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. We'll never be justified in God's sight by obeying the law because we can't keep it perfectly. We fall short. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And therefore, he says, the, by the law is the knowledge of sin. How do we know we're sinners? Because we fall short of God's law. We fall short of God's standards. Romans 3.28, Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Just as if I'd never sinned. But that can't be true because we do sin. We have sinned and we will sin. So the only way we can be justified is by putting our faith in Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the holy one. And what will happen here at the end of the millennium when Satan is released, loosed, and he goes out to deceive the nations, it once again proves God's right and we're wrong. And they surrounded the camp of the saints. Oh no, they've got God surrounded. What are we going to do? But interestingly, the word camp here, it's a military term referring to the armies or the barracks of an army. So we are and will be the army of God. They surrounded the camp of the saints and the holy city, the beloved city. This could only be Jerusalem, obviously, which will be the capital of the world government of Christ throughout the millennial kingdom, Isaiah 2, 1 through 5. Jerusalem will be the capital of Christ's millennial kingdom. So no surprise that the whole world wants to see it destroyed, right? Isaiah 2, 1 and 2. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Jeremiah 3.17, at that time Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered to it, to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. No more shall they follow the dictates of their evil hearts. 
But again, interestingly, this big buildup, right? Satan goes out to deceive the nation. So you can imagine this takes place over a period of time. It's, you know, it's going to take some time to gather all these people together and come and surround Jerusalem. And, you know, we're going to take out Jesus and his people. We're going to take over this planet. It's going to take some time for that to come together. But then, as they finally get there, they're, in, they're surrounding the camp of the saints. But we don't see some massive bloody battle taking place. All we see is fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Boom. It's over. Just like Sodom and Gomorrah. Since there will surely be no nukes during the millennial kingdom, I'm 99.9% .9 sure of that. There's not going to be any nuclear weapons on the planet when Christ is ruling and reigning then this has to be of supernatural origin, just like Sodom and Gomorrah, right down out of heaven. Just like when Elijah took on the 400 prophets of Baal, built that altar on Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal were trying to get their God to consume the sacrifice, and nothing was happening, and they were weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and even cutting themselves. Nothing. So then Elijah comes along and he says, hey, let's dig a trench around it and fill it with water. In fact, let's saturate the whole thing with water. And then Elijah calls out to God, whoosh! Fire comes down and devours the whole thing. You think God can do that? Absolutely. And he's going to do it here. Once again, the battle belongs to the Lord. 2 Chronicles 20, 15, 1 Samuel 17, 47 and as at the second coming, all it will take, we see in Revelation 19 that the armies of this world, the Antichrist, the beast, the false prophet, the armies of this world are defeated by the sword that comes out of Jesus' mouth. What do you think that sword is? It's his word. So again, we will be there as the supporting cast of characters. Some of us are really characters. We will be there as that supporting cast, but we're not going to have to wield any weapons or do any fighting. Jesus will defeat them all with his spoken word. Same thing here, only this time it's fire from heaven. Because Jesus is here on the earth with us, ruling and reigning, but God is still in heaven, and he will not make his appearance until we enter the new Jerusalem at the end of the millennium. But he sends down fire from heaven, destroys all these rebels, all these people who rise up with Satan to try and take out Jesus and the saints. So we could call this God's nukes. All it takes is one word from him. As the army of God, we simply stand with him, the camp of the saints, as he executes judgment. Because really, even in our perfected state, He's the only one qualified to execute judgment. He's the creator of all things. He's the perfect, holy, righteous God. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So next week, let's stand. We're going to see the devil's final destination and the great white throne judgment. I can't believe I got through all that in a half an hour. You see, miracles do happen. Before we uh, close with our final song, let's have a time of prayer. If anyone has a prayer request, please raise your hand.
Lift it up high. All right, let's go before the Lord. Father, we do thank you for your word. It is powerful. It's dynamic. And Lord, you are continuing that process of preparing us, equipping us for that coming millennial kingdom of Christ here on earth, Lord. Lord, we do look forward to being with you in paradise. But Lord, we know we actually have um, some tremendous responsibilities lying ahead as we will be ruling and reigning with Christ for a thousand years. Lord, help us to get a better grasp and understanding of all that and to really be excited about that. Lord, we really should be excited about that prospect that we will be here with Jesus on the earth, ruling, reigning, governing. And we, we, uh, we are excited. We look forward to that. But right now, Lord, we have <laughs> earthly issues to pray about. Lord, first I want to lift up all those in our congregation that may be struggling right now with the COVID-19. Lord, please pour out your spirit upon them. Bring healing to them. Lord, help them to recover quickly. Lord, for those that have had it and have recovered but still maybe have lingering effects, that you would heal them of all of those. Lord, that everyone who's had this virus would be just completely restored to good health and strength and energy, their taste, their smell, any other things that may be still bothering them, that you would just bring a complete healing and restoration to them in Jesus' name. We thank you for those that are back with us that had been gone for a while. We thank you and praise you, Lord, for recovery. And Lord, for those who have lost a loved one, we pray for comfort, for peace, for strength. And Lord, you know each person here this morning that's raised their hand. It could be for a health issue other than it could be COVID or something else. We pray for your healing oil to be poured out upon them or whoever it might be that they're seeking prayer for, you know. You're awesome, God. You can touch people. Distance is not even an issue. It could be someone halfway around the world, and you can reach out and touch them right now. And that's what we pray for, not just for those in this room, but even for those that may be watching online. We ask for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit for healing of physical health issues, also for mental health issues, for uh, discouragement, for depression, for anxiety, for fear, that you would just deliver each one, Lord. Draw them close to yourself. Give them hope. Give them faith. Give them strength. And deliver them from these mental and emotional issues that they might be dealing with. Pray for those struggling with uh, financial issues that you'd provide for them. Give them wisdom and guidance on how to manage and handle their finances, Lord. And if they don't have any finances, we ask you to please provide them with resources that they need for food, for clothing, for shelter, for all, transportation, all those basic needs that we have. We pray for provision, for jobs where needed, Lord, and one that would be enjoyable, one that would be a blessing, one that would be fulfilling. But most of all, I guess, just to put food on the table. So if anyone's not working and needs work, we ask you to bless them, provide them with a job. Pray for healing of relationships, Lord, for marriages that may be struggling friendships, partnerships, people in the workplace, people in the neighborhood, wherever it might be, Lord. We know the enemy likes to sow discord and division and strife, but Lord, you, you're a God of peace. You came that we might have life and life more abundantly. We pray for healing of broken relationships, and we ask again for your wisdom and guidance on how we can be instruments of your peace, how we can be those who promote restoration, healing, reconciliation. Lord, help us to walk humbly before our God, as uh, we read in the book of Micah, Lord, that who he has shown us, Lord, 
what is good and what the Lord requires of us, that we would do justly and love mercy and walk humbly before our God. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.